0: Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Greetings. How are you guys? How is your October Um Maybe where you're at, it's getting cooler. I can't say too much about that here in Florida. We've got a ways to go before we get anything resembling sweater weather, but I am loving that we've got some football going. I want to apologize up front. If my voice cracks a little bit, I have been suffering through something seasonal that has affected me and my dog. We both sneeze a lot. It's not COVID, but I may not sound quite as good as I normally do. Uh, and so I apologize for that. So today we're talking about salary negotiations, and I want to give you three important numbers, but I also want to give you some additional information to help you with the salary negotiation process. As a reminder, before I dive into the topic, rate, review, subscribe to this podcast, guys, and find me on social media. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. That's the best place at Lisa Edwards, L-E-S-A. But you can also find me on Instagram, and I have a Facebook business page, Exclusive Career Coaching. In the show notes, you'll see a link to my calendar if you're ready to take the next step with me and talk about working one-on-one. So we'll talk about where you're at now, where you want to get to, and what, if anything, you've done to get there. And then after I take in all of that content, that information from you, I will prescribe for you what is in your best interest and let you know what that would look like so in terms of salary negotiations i coach my clients on walking into the salary negotiation process with three numbers that they have already decided ahead of time in addition to talking about those numbers as i said i want to give you some information that i found on a forbes article that was titled are you being thorough in your salary negotiations the complete insiders checklist by don graham So let's talk about these three numbers that I coach my clients on, first of all. The first number is the number that you want to end up with. So it's kind of starting with the end in mind. This is the number that you want to end up with, the salary offer that you want to receive. And this number needs to be based on on several things. First of all, you want to do salary salary research in the geographic area that you're in. So salarycalculator.com, the Department of Labor has good information on this. So there's lots of research out there that you can find kind of what is the salary range for X job title in X city. Obviously, that geographic piece is really important because whatever you do, um, if you're doing it in New York City, you're going to have a very different salary than if you're doing it in Dallas. So you want to make sure that you're looking at geographic specific salary information. And then within that salary range, which sometimes is a pretty big range, you want to kind of think about where you should reasonably fit within that range. And here are some of those kind of qualities or characteristics that would move you up or down within that salary range. So if you have a unique skill set, so you are bringing something to the table that is required or maybe they prefer it for the job and it's pretty unique, it doesn't grow on trees, then that's going to bring you kind of up higher in the salary range. Do you have added abilities or skills that are going to save money or earn money for the company? So maybe these weren't even things that were put in the job description, but you are confident that in presenting them, you are presenting yourself as a a higher a higher paid alternative. What is the value of your education, your certification, and your licensure? And this really, again, gets back to have they said these things are required? If they're they're required, then the, the assumption is they wouldn't even be interviewing you if you didn't have them. If they are preferred, then you can use those as bargaining chips. I have these things that you really wanted that maybe some of the other candidates don't have. If you were given an introduction through a strong referral, so someone who is highly valued by the decision maker has said, this person has got what you need. This is, this is the person that you want. What is your individual learning curve? So can you make a, a case for, I'm going to be up to speed because of all of these things plus my learning curve? I my my tendency to catch on quickly, for example, I'm going to be able to contribute quicker and more fully than some of your other candidates. And then finally, kind of that supply and demand of the skill set that you bring to the table. So do you have a skill set that is relatively common and there may be a lot of candidates who are going to bring to the table what you bring to the table, or is your skill set pretty unique? So those are all kind of things I think of it as kind of putting them all in the blender. Mixing them all up and thinking, okay, based on all of this and my homework on the range for salaries for this position within this geography, this is the number I want to end up with. And the last thing I want to say about that first number is it can be impacted by things like maybe the company has exceptionally good medical insurance and you're going to have a very small out-of-pocket or, you know, conversely, it's not great insurance and you're going to have to pay more out-of-pocket, you may want to a, a kind of adjust your salary expectation based on that. The important thing about anything benefits-wise that you're thinking of as kind of being, I can, I can take a little bit lower salary because this thing is being offered to me, Just make sure that that's something that you actually want and that you actually will utilize because if you're looking at something, oh, I don't know, for example, you know, they have a really state-of-the-art recreation facility and they're trying to talk you into a lower salary because of that, but you don't use a rec facility, then don't be swayed by that. Make sure that it makes sense for you if you're going to kind of adjust the salary down. The second number you want to have is where you want to start your salary negotiations. So if you're going to start at your, at your ending number at that first number, you, you're not going to end up at your first number. So you want to start above that. And depending on the job market, your marketability, you know, the supply and demand of your specific job and the number, that number might be something like 15, 8, 10, 15, 20, 25% higher than your first number so again you want to look at all that data and think okay you know I want to end up at a hundred thousand we'll just use a nice round number so I'm going to if I'm asked to throw out the first number I'm going to throw out 125,000 maybe or 120,000 because I think if I do that they're going to counter down at 85 or 90 or something like that we're going to end up where I want to end up at the third number is the one that many people don't go into salary negotiations with, and it really comes back to bite them. The third number is your walkaway number, and this is the number at which you know that you would basically from day one be looking for another job, taking a nighttime job, you know, having this moonlight in some kind of way, and I th- in most cases you end up regretting the acceptance of the job. You regret that you took that job and, and therefore took yourself out of the job market even for a short period of time. Now this number can factor in your specific financial situation. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. So you're not going to tell the employer, you know, I can't go any low, lower than 80000 because, you know, I have a lot of student loan debt. That's not their problem. But it is your problem. So you want to have done the math on car payments, mortgage payments, or rent payments, um, student loan repayment, and any other financial obligations that you have in deciding what your walkaway number is. Now, of course, your walkaway number has to be reasonable, too. So if we go back to that example of a $100,000, let us say that what you see in your salary research for that area is that this job pays somewhere between you know 80 and 120,000 it's not reasonable for you to expect that your walkaway number is 120,000 right <laughs> you may say okay um, 80,000 to 120 based on you know my skill set and all of that I'm, I'm I'm willing to go down to 75,000 but that's the lowest I can go so you really have to look at this and you have to check in with your mindset Am I picking that number out of fear? Am I picking it because I'm afraid I won't get the job, so I want to take a lower number because I really just want them to give me the job? Or am I in a good headspace and a good mindset about that number? I've chosen that number logically without, you know, I don't have emotions about that number. I don't have opinions about myself relative to that number. I've looked at the facts of the situation. This is my walkaway number. The primary reason that I think it's so important to have that third number when you go into salary negotiations is so that you can avoid what I like to call the shiny object syndrome. And that is kind of letting the could be the facility it could be something about oh they're like oh we have you know we have this special thing that happens every Friday we bring lunch in for you blah blah and you're so attracted to those things that you talk yourself out of a reasonable salary for that job and I've seen it happen over and over again with clients especially again when they don't go in with that third number in mind they don't they don't know what their walkaway number is And they agree to work for subpar wages because of these shiny objects that maybe they don't even care about and that they don't even, you know, use. And the analogy that I like to draw with this one is uh, a few years ago when I was buying a house here in Tallahassee, I had created a spreadsheet that was actually apparently pretty good because the realtor asked if she could have a copy of it. But I had sat down with my significant other at the time and we had decided what was important to us. And then we had rated the importance of that thing, given it a a numerical value. And then each house that we went to, I kind of plugged in where that house rated relative to that that thing that was important to me. So um, one of them, I'm, I'm a sucker for a jacuzzi tub. Like I have to have a jacuzzi tub. I get in it every night. So that one had a really high number. And so then when I go into these houses, I can not be swayed by, you know, the shiny objects, but really stick to These are the things that I said were most important to me. How does this house rate relative to that? And I remember when we got down to two houses, I thought I knew which house I was going to pick. And when we did the math, it was very clear that it should be the other house because I was swoped it had a um, it had a wine cooler like a wine refrigerator and a nice wine bar in the kitchen and it had these cool lights in the bedroom and had these cool features in the bathroom none of which were on my must-have list so once I kind of got rid of shiny object syndrome I saw that the other house was clearly the better choice for us. all right so here are some additional factors to consider and this again comes from that Forbes article. So when you think about your numbers and you're kind of deciding on what these three numbers should be, I, th- I think a really important factor is, am I currently employed or is there a sufficient source of income coming in from somewhere or am I kind of in desperation mode? It's perfectly understandable that you might bring those numbers down a little bit if you are nearing the end of a severance package, you know, you're with 2020 the way that it is, you know, your benefits are running out, whatever the case may be. Um, at that point, you may not be operating from a place of power, a position of power, and you may be a little bit more anxious to get this this going. You also want to think about how the market and the industry is performing. I think this one is particularly important in 2020 right now. This is, and this is another question kind of, is it a buyer's market or a seller's market? It is very clearly a buyer's market right now, meaning that the employer's are kind of in the driver's seat, and the and there's a uh, an abundance of there is an a, there are an abundance of applicants. You also want to think about: Do I have another offer in hand, and am I being contacted on the regular by recruiters? Am I having other interviews? So this really gets to, you know, what are my other options? And we don't want to think about kind of in the future, the possibility, but looking at the situation right now. So I'm going through this negotiation. Do I have another offer in hand? Do I have, am I, am I getting a steady stream of interviews, steady stream of contact from recruiters for jobs that I'm really interested in? So I, I think that gives you an opportunity to walk away a little bit more easily from a position because you, you know, you're not worried that there's nothing else out there for you. Also think about If you're at risk of a layoff or you're in some kind of toxic environment so you are working but you really need to get out of that situation quickly that may cause you to want to come down a little bit on those numbers. Some other things to think about are uh, relative to the company that you're doing the negotiations with and I think these are useful considerations. So number one Is this a time-sensitive hire? So is this a hire where they are kind of under the gun because it's a certain project that has to be managed or it's such a critical position to the company that they need to get somebody in there as quickly as possible? They're going to be much more willing to open up the wallet in those situations. Also, did the department just lose one or more people and why? So I think it's useful to think about why is this position available? What is going on with the company? Is there anything there that should give me pause? And maybe, you know, I'm going to want more money if you want me to come into this really dicey situation. Also, and this one can be tricky to find out, but you may be able or get some indication that there's a number two candidate who's very strong. They may actually say, hey, we've narrowed it down to two really great candidates. So that's going to take a little bit away from your bargaining power, because if this number two is great, they may be perfectly happy giving it to them. But if you get any indication that you are, you know, kind of far and away the front runner, that's obviously going to put you in more of a position of power. Also, is this a newly created role? Sometimes those roles are less urgent. So anything that you can find out about where does this position fit into the company? Is it critical to their success? Is it kind of a new idea? Is it loosely defined? You know, anything that you can find out about that is going to help you to recognize how excited they are going to be to to fill the position, how anxious and enthusiastic. And then finally, are there other things going on in the company that may be a greater priority? Are there other positions that are more important for them to fill or company initiatives or any of those things? Oh, and one more on that one. Is someone else adequately filling the position right now? So, you know, the incumbent left uh, or got terminated or whatever the case is, but they've got it rolling along, maybe not making headway, but they're not losing ground either, That's going to give the company less of a sense of urgency to fill the position and maybe be more cautious about getting the right person. Another factor is the expense to hire. So as you think about this salary range that you're looking for, you want to think about it also from the company's perspective. So, if you used a headhunter, so if a, a recruiter or a headhunter third party person, what I mean by that again, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but a third party recruiter is somebody who works for a recruiting firm and is not employed by that company. Typically, a headhunter is going to make something, you know, it could be 10, 15, 20, 25% of the first year's salary for that job as a finder's fee. Now that doesn't come out of your paycheck. It's not like they say, "Hey, we were going to give you 100,000, but now we're only going to give you 75,000." But it is important to think about that because if the company is having to shell out 15, 20, 25,000, they may have less room to negotiate the salary with you. Also, are there other relo or upfront costs involved? So, I know when I took the position at Truman State University, I was moving from Columbus, Georgia. So it was about a 900-mile, about a 900 950-mile um, uh, relocation. And I had picked out, based on, again, my research and, and everything, I had two numbers that I would wanted to hear from them. One number was, this is what we're going to pay you, but we're not going to offer you reload. And then the second number was what I was willing to take. It was a little bit less, not a ton, but it was a little bit less if they offered me reload. Now for you, you may say, hey, I'd much rather pay the reload costs myself because if I get that higher starting salary, then all of my subsequent salaries will be based on, you know, a percentage of that higher number. I'm going to come out better. Five years down the road, there's going to be a big difference between that couple thousand dollars that I, you know, left on the table. So you you just kind of want to think about that. The situation that I was in when I was moving to... Uh, moving to Northeast Missouri, was I really needed them to pay my reload costs. So I was willing to take a few thousand less. I can't remember what it was exactly, maybe 1500 or something, um, if they would pay my reload costs. Also, Thinking about, is there a lot of training, right? So they want you, but they've said, we need to send you through this. You need this certification. We'll pay for it. You need this additional education, credential, whatever it is, or extensive training, maybe not the standard training for this job, but something extra that you personally would need. It's reasonable to kind of think about that and also think about it in terms of the value of that training going forward for you. So maybe the company is absorbing three, four, five thousand dollars to give you that credential or that training. but how will that look going down the road for a future employer? It may be very attractive and it may be worth it to you. And then finally, thinking about if you have a non compete or any kind of other risk to the employer, right? So if the if the employer has to go to bat for you with a non compete, that typically involves a lawyer, which of course involves legal cost. And so if there's any kind of um, oh, for example, it could be a visa issue, right? If you're not an a, a naturalized American citizen, you may have you may ask for the company to sponsor you. That is a that is a very large expense. So if there's anything like that unique to you, you want to think about that because that could be a real red flag to the employer or a real stop sign. And then finally I want to talk about the risks that might be present to you in your negotiation. So and this is kind of I think particularly when you have a job that you're not miserable at, so you're, you're operating from a position of power. And I work with a lot of clients in this situation where we really kind of decide where is that bar in terms of taking a new position based on our current circumstances. And when they're gainfully employed, really love their job, nobody's showing them the, the, the exit, then we have that bar really high. And so one of the considerations would be if this is a startup. So if it's a startup, what, where are we at in the startup process, right? Where, wh- What's phase of startup are we? And do I trust the founders? Um, you have to be careful with startups because sometimes there's a real nightmare. Sometimes it's a fantastic opportunity, but there is a potential for it to be a real nightmare situation. I've had clients who haven't gotten paid. I've had clients who were summarily dismissed. So that could be a really risky position if you are currently in a job that you're very happy at and not, you know, in any danger. Also thinking about what part of the compensation is variable versus guaranteed. Um, you want to make sure that that when you look at those numbers, right, you, depending on what field you're in. So when I have sales folks, um, you really want to look at the total compensation package But you really want to know what is guaranteed for me because that's what's going to pay the bills every month. And, you know, what does that look like? Also, is there a lot of change occurring within the organization? Is this organization in a state of flux? Am I seeing things maybe in the news or in trade journals that concerns me about the stability of this organization? And then finally, are, the, are there any risks that the company is facing that you might be indirectly taking on? So is there is there anything going on in the company that you may get involved in? It's something legal or something to do with security or something to do with finances that you may end up getting your fingers stuck in, not in a good way. So when it comes to salary negotiations, the, the final three things that I want to leave you with is Always sleep on an offer. So I don't think it's ever a good practice to immediately say yes. I, I'm I'm happy with that. I think it makes you look a little over eager. And also, it doesn't give time for you to process through, to look at your numbers. Think about everything. Take a look at, you want to have that benefits package in hand as well. Typically, they're going to show you that along with the salary. So, you know, what does this look like? when I kind of put all of this together. For example, what's my out-of-pocket going to be every month on benefits and what's that going to do to my monthly take-home? So you want to sleep on it. You want to prepare thoroughly for the, the going through the negotiation process, having those numbers, doing your homework, and throwing not throwing numbers out that are just based on the ether, but saying things like, you know based on my research for the Dallas area for this position it looks like the range is 80 to 120,000 when i look at myself and what i'm bringing to the table and then you would talk about what those things were it seems reasonable to me to be at the higher end of that so i'd like to see something closer to the 120 that's kind of the way you want to come in and then you know finding that balance between the outcome that you're looking for and the relationship that you're developing. This is a new relationship, presumably, with this company, with this individual. And you don't want to burn that bridge, right? And So it's that, it's a really tricky balance between I'm very happy with the salary. I feel very good about what I've been offered. But I haven't burnt bridges. I haven't, I haven't damaged relationships along the way. So I hope this gives you some ideas about how to negotiate your salary, how to go through this process. Um, This is something that experts like me coach clients on. I not too long ago coached a client for about 30 minutes on salary negotiation. She was going to go into the negotiation the next day and she got $10,000 more than she otherwise would have so she obviously felt really good about spending 30 minutes and some some money on the salary negotiation coaching that i did with her so that is some that is an option um, that coaches offer so i hope this has been helpful as always i want to be your career coach so you've got my url to my calendar in the show notes reach out schedule a call with me and we will take you to the next level i'll talk to you next week take care